This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 202. I am very excited to have an uplifting encourager on the show today, Michael Arterberry. He has a fascinating personal story, not an easy one, uh, but Michael is of the firm belief that our past does not dictate our future. In fact, we can use it as a springboard towards better things. And that is what he has made his life's work after having the gift of good mentoring growing up. He really wanted to make sure everybody felt like they could uh, reach out and create um, the kind of dynamic around them that would help them uh, live a great uh, life rather than um, be a product of one's environment necessarily, especially if you're raised, born in, in really tough circumstances, um, difficult circumstances, whether that be poverty, health, uh, abuse, many, many things that people are all around the world, uh, regardless of race, colour, uh, religion, are subjected to, unfortunately. And I think Michael is an incredible um, testament to what he teaches. He works predominantly with uh, youths, teenagers uh, in America. He's from the States. And uh, today is by no means about teenagers. However, I do have a couple of questions for him around that age group specifically, because I know a lot of you listening today are going to be parents of teenagers or maybe teenage years are around the corner and you're wanting a few tools for the shakier ground that may be on its way. Uh, and there's uh, um, so many good things about feeling more empowered and having difficult conversations. And speaking of difficult conversations, I actually spoke to Michael about the racial tensions in the US at the moment and indeed all around the world Um for those who don't know, in Australia, we have a huge swept under the carpet story of abuse um, to, toward our Indigenous uh, Australians. And I, I really feel like people are starting to have the courage to explore this a lot more um, rather than um, be scared that they're going to have to feel guilty or bad that things have happened. We're actually just starting to open up and go, you know what, this is the truth. This is what has happened. This is what is happening. And how can I be a part of the healing? Uh, and it's not easy to have race conversations where we actually just talk and listen to each other. A lot of us find it easier, less scary to hide behind other people talking for us and just agreeing with people on social media. Um, and so I hope I did a good job today. I, I felt very vulnerable talking about that because uh, sometimes you, you feel like you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to offend, of course. Uh, but I feel like if we all hide behind that as the excuse for not starting these conversations, we're not going to start anytime soon. Because of course, we know, especially from endeavouring to lead our lowest tox lives possible, it's not about perfection. It is actually about making a start and figuring it out uh, along the way. 
So today's conversation is one of my favourites. I I really felt um, very deeply affected by uh, Michael's words, by his journey, by how much he shared and how much he gives in his life. So I know you guys are going to love this chat and we're going to hook into that very soon. I want to welcome all of the Lotox Club members who have joined us this week. There have been quite a few of you. And this week, our theme for our Lotox Club members is, well, this month, I should say, is all about sleep. Last month, it was about immunity. And by the way, when you join, uh, you unlock the club member dashboard and you will see all of the previous months and all of the ebooks that we create each month for you guys. Um, with the different club member themes. Uh, And this month, it's all about sleep. And I have a very interesting thing that I shared with the club members in our private Facebook group over the weekend about how my sleep was completely shot to pieces this week because of bed sheets. And I will let that be a little suspense moment for anyone listening today uh, and invite you to join us. You get 50% off our Lotox Life e-courses, except for Thrive and Lotox Method, which is my business coaching program. Uh, All the other ones, so eight different courses to choose from, 50% off all year round when you're a club member. And of course, the private Facebook group, the monthly theme and the ebook that we put together for club members. Uh, It is just warming up. And as we get more and more members, we're going to be doing some cool things like group buys, Uh, and starting to bring in some international conversations uh, as well to help international members with their goals, not just the Aussies. Uh, And so, yes, do come join us. It's only $49 a year. So it's really no skin off your nose to join. That's like 29 US or about 28 euro. And you're there all year and it's just a little recurring payment. And the reason I make it so low is because I want everybody in there. I want us to feel like we have this lovely, at least semi-protected community of goodness, decency and, and coming together over common values and common goals. Uh, and of course, you know, when everything is totally accessible on the internet, that's when you get a ton of trolling and really disrespectful conversations happen, uh, whereas we have a beautiful little positive bubble of goodness. So that's always appreciated by our members. And uh, and I hope to see you in there. I wanted to feature this week uh, a water filter that uh, a lot of people talk to me about what my top low-tox tips are. And without a doubt, having great water filtration is right up there. But I also know that this is a time that you might not be able to just jump on in and grab the Mac Daddy water filter like, um, you know, a 12 litre bench top that costs a grand or uh, even some of the ones that are around three to five hundred dollars. That might even still be way too much right now in a year like this one is a lot of people are experiencing hardship and I know a lot of people aren't as well and if you can get uh, either a whole house filtration system or a big benchtop water filter then power to you go for it because it's still just as important wherever you're at in the budget scale but one particular product is an absolute little workhorse And it is one that I have used for the past four months before we moved into our new place. And we were kind of vagabonding between my parents in the country and in Sydney in an Airbnb while we looked for our new place. 
Uh, and uh, I, I'm not going to go into the details of why we did that. Uh, but if you want to have a listen to show 191, I actually talked about some of the things that we were seeing while we were looking for places that uh, gave clues on water damage and dampness issues, if that might be something that you are interested in right now. And it sure is the main reason why it took us just over three months to find a place and over 50 property inspections. So the reason I bring that up in relation to water filters is we um, had packed away our water filter, our big one, uh, thinking that we would be uh, back in a, a great apartment or house within, you know, a few weeks. But a few weeks turned into four months. <laughs> and during that time, all we had was our little mini waterman filter. And uh, I can honestly say we used that thing to make stock. We used it to make, uh, to drink all of our day's water. We replaced the filter once because you have to do that around every three months, but you can buy really economical little three-pack refills so that you've got it nine every nine months you can do that. And this is the same little water filter that my son and I used when we were doing our big trip to go meet all the relatives and I presented him to his cousins and uncles and aunts in Paris and New York and London where we have all of our family. We sound like a an 80s fashion shopping bag or t-shirt, but um, but that's just where everyone is. And it's because on my mum's side, I'm Mauritian. And in the late 60s, all the Mauritian kids could finally fly to go off to their studies uh, with commercial flight becoming available. And mum's generation all flew off to the big cities to go study in everything from photography schools, secretarial schools, business schools, you name it. They all went off and studied something. And, uh, and so they kind of went to those big cities and then their families, you know, met locals, etc. cetera, um, started families. And so that's why all our cousins are in randomly Mauritius, but also Paris, New York, and London. So, um, it's wonderful to have people to visit all over, uh, and to be able to guarantee yourself great drinking water all the way, especially in the UK where it's really just not so great, uh, and is really wonderful. And uh, I just want to kind of make the point, I guess, is that you don't have to be made of cash and you don't have to be able to afford a whole house water filtration system to have the best quality water filtration. This thing is tiny. It's under 200 bucks. The refills are really cheap as well for a three pack. I think it's about 90 bucks. And this is all Australian. Um, and they do have shipping in international areas. So I've put all the details in the show notes. And the way you get to the show notes is lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And you'll see it all there. You'll see the picture of the product, the special link to the product, which is our affiliate link. So thank you so much in advance for supporting us. Um, but I cannot speak highly enough of this water filter. Not only has it gotten us through a month overseas, but it also has just gotten my little family through four months on the road, not with our normal kitchen setup. So I'm a huge fan and hopefully that's a reassurance that people can get great water filtration at not too much cash. Uh, really great product. So enjoy that if that's something you're in the, in the um, market for right now. So that's it for me. I want to not wait another second to introduce you to Michael Arterberry uh, and also point out that he has a wonderful book called Be Encouraged, 
250 days of motivation and encouragement. So it's a daily motivation book. This is a really fantastic way for you to have just that daily little reminder of something to get you starting the day feeling good. And I know that this can be an incredibly hard time. It is an incredibly hard time for so many people out there. And uh, while everything sorts itself out in the bigger scheme of the pandemic conversation, we don't have to wait another day to start the day right. We really don't. That is our power within us every single day. And uh, I, I really do believe that. I've been through some pretty tough times myself and uh, gratefully somehow always remembered that somewhere deep inside there was always cause for hope and there was always cause to find the silver lining in a situation. And being encouraged is absolutely going to do that for you. So I hope you enjoy the interview today and then also checking out Michael's work and his book. Enjoy. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Having a good evening and looking forward to uh, talking to you and your audience. Beautiful. And I hear you have a little story for us to start. Yes, I got a story that kind of um, captures sort of my life, uh, but I'll tell it to you and you can figure it out on your own. So uh, it's about a donkey and a farmer, all right? And this farm animal was one of his favorite farm animals because once he finishes working on the farm with the donkey, he brings the donkey home to his house and he allows the donkey to play with his kids so the donkey and him come home and they run out the house and they come out and they play with them wash them and ride them and so this is like a treat you know and one night he brought them home and they came out and they played with them and he released them out to the farm but during the evening the donkey was wandering and he fell into an empty water well on the farm so when he fell into the empty water well of course he couldn't get out he's making donkey noises all night the next morning when the farmer came out, he whistled for him and he didn't show up. So the farmer starts walking around the farm. He finally finds him at the bottom of the well. And when he finds him at the bottom of the well, of course, he wants to get him out. So he goes and gets six of his friends and they come over to the well. And they're like, hey, listen, let's get some rope and let's pull him out. So they all get some rope and they start throwing rope down the well. They miss him. They throw the rope. They miss him. They finally throw it by his hind legs. He steps into the rope. They shimmy it up his body and they start to pull. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. Then halfway up the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. Now, when they realize he's too heavy, they lower him back to the bottom of the well. And now this farmer has to make a grim decision. Now, see, he can't feed him food at the bottom of the well because that wouldn't make any sense. He can't starve him because in his mind, he's more like a pet. One of his hot-headed friends was like, hey, just shoot him. He's like, no, that's too violent. So one of his more reasonable friends whispered in his ear and said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So you're going to have to sacrifice your donkey. We're going to bury him with dirt. Your kids will be safe, but your donkey will have to go. And the farmer could deal with that. So they all get shovels and they start shoveling dirt. And every time that dirt hit the donkey, the donkey would scream and it would cause the farmer some distress. So you got dirt, scream, dirt, scream, dirt, scream. And then Alex, all of a sudden, the scream stopped. When the scream stopped, they give the donkey a moment of silence. But then they go back to work. More dirt, 
Mortar, mortar. The next thing you know, you see the donkeys right here. So they keep shoveling dirt faster. The next thing you know, you see half his body. They keep shoveling dirt faster. The next thing you know, Alex, that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. So check it out. This is how he saved himself. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on his back. He would shake it off and he would step on it. And he took every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. Now, I tell you that story because I am the donkey. I am the donkey. Um, some of my dirt that I went through growing up, uh, first and foremost, I grew up in a home with a raging alcoholic father. And when I say raging, I mean raging. And he raged from the time I was born until the time he died when I was 16. And what I, the reason why I put the raging in front of it is because during the day when I would just be playing and having fun, no matter what was going on during the day, sometime <clears throat> during the day, something would tap me on my shoulder and just remind me, you know, that I had to go home to that situation. On top of that, I grew up in poverty. Both my parents were... <coughs> Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Both my parents worked full time. My dad was a bus driver. My mother was a housekeeper. If both of their money came into the home, we would have been fine. But my dad's money went to drinking and my mother raised four kids with just a housekeeping salary. So you got to imagine it was it was really tough on top of growing up in poverty. With a dad that was an alcoholic, we grew up in dysfunction. So my older siblings, I had three older siblings who did their best with trying to guide me, but they were guiding me um, the best that they were being guided by this alcoholic father. You would think that in my neighborhood, I would have got a little help, but unfortunately, the homes in my neighborhood were identical to mine. So what you had in my neighborhood was drug abuse. You had... um crime you had uh you had you know, desperate people, people doing desperate yeah yeah things. desperate things yeah so you know i grew up in, in in dysfunction but you know the silver lining to the story is the fact that i took those wounds and those scars alex and that is the catalyst and the foundation of what presses and pushes me to help others to be encouraged so you know i like to tell that because it captures the man that's speaking into the the microphone or in the interview, and it, it just captures, you know, who I am and the foundation of where I come from. Mm. And, Michael, can I ask, uh, what what does it feel like to be a person of colour? Um, and I'm not, in, I'm not implying that we need to move straight to the victim card on this, no, but what does it feel like to grow up to hear the narrative of, well, you just got to try harder. You get just as many chances as everybody else. But the fact is you really, really don't when you grow up in a neighborhood like yours. And I'm curious to see how, you know, maybe it was like a glimmer of hope from a mentor or something that just led you to think, I'm not going to be a victim in my life. I'm going to actually turn this around and bring everybody up with me there must have been something that gave you a clue that a new story was possible two things what i did i was very creative as a, a young person growing up the first thing that i did 
is I created a traditional family. Now, the way that I did that is God had gifted me with the ability to be an elite athlete. And I'm talking about I was good. My mom put me in the sports at the age of eight. I played basketball, baseball, soccer, and football. All four seasons, I rotated all four from the time I was eight until the time I graduated high school. When I left high school, I could have gone on to college for all four, but I picked football. That was my favorite. Now, I tell you that because as I'm growing up, I use my football coaches as what a person would use as a traditional dad. So they would give me the guidance and the, and, and the, you know, the, the words that a father would give them. I use my teammates, if you look at a traditional home, as my brothers and my sisters. And then the positive accolades that I would get from the sports would be what a kid would normally get when they break through the door, they come in the house and they see their mother and father. So as I'm going through this murky situation, I'm actually able to survive it because I created this traditional family. But there's another secret. And this secret is this. I had a house that barely had heat in the winter. My mom used to heat it up. She used to put uh, hot water in big turkey basin pans. And that's how she would heat my apartment. But one night, Alex, when I was falling asleep, I was crying. And I promised myself that if I ever had my own kids, that my kids would never have to live in a situation that I was living in. And sometimes where the road got tough, my unborn children became the catalyst to my success. Wow. Wow. And do you have kids today? Yes, I do. How many? And you know what's, I have two. You know what's beautiful about it, Alex, is I graduated to a better life. See, so I have two I have two phases. What's great about my kids is my kids don't know I have to have two parts. My kids only know my second part of my life. You know, when I divulge and show them and we go back to my neighborhood, they can't believe that their dad grew up in that. So I broke the cycle. I was able to break the cycle. Um, I have siblings where they 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 broke it but not to my level. Um, but, but I made sure that my kids, they, they, I mean, it's, it's, they live, they live the dream that I dreamt of. I mean, my home for me, there's times where I pull into my driveway and I stop and tears will run down my eyes. Cause I, I think it's going to disappear because I can remember living in my neighborhood like it was yesterday. Mm. And do you feel like it seems really obvious to me the way you were able to treat your sports coaches as mentors and parents, really, you know, getting that life advice and that building up of confidence from someone. Do you feel like that's one of the main contributing factors why some kids who grew up in disadvantaged neighborhoods then go on to be desperate people doing desperate things? Um, because they just don't see any of that coming at them from anywhere to give them that confidence. Yeah, you know what, Alex? You you you, you caught me on a good night. I'm going to drop something on you about Please that do. with the kids. You know, I, I, I was on Facebook and I read an article. It was uh, a history teacher dispelling people that believed in the Confederacy. So what they were doing, they were taking everything that a person believed in the Confederacy and they dispelled it one line at a time. So I'm telling you this because each time that they dispelled it, for some reason, a history teacher would put an example of black history 
that would equal something positive to the Confederacy. Once the article was done, I'm 52 years old, and I realized that in school, the only thing that I was taught is that I was a slave and I was freed. I was never taught that there were, I was, there were innovators, that I could invent things. You know, you got a little Martin Luther King on Black History Month, and that's all it is. So when you see the crime in these communities, you got little black boys and girls running around. Nobody told them that they could be kings or queens. So their behaviors are reflective of what they've been taught and what their parents have been taught. And so if you don't step outside and educate yourself on your own, you only live by what you live into your label, right? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. all it is, Alex. Mm. Um, okay. So was there a particular point that you decided to make your life's work lifting people up? You know, um, it's funny that it, it was natural. So it's never, I never said to myself, let me just become a motivational speaker. You know, when I post things on Facebook, I'm a big guy and I was always big. Um, I had a choice of either being the bully or being the one that protected those being bullied. And I took the, the higher road. So I was that kid, you know, as a kindergarten, I remember going to second graders classrooms like, you know, you, you, you know, I beat you up. You know what I'm saying? I find out you bully somebody, you know. And so I say that to you because my classmates looked at me as I was a superhero. They write it on my post. You know, Mike, when we were growing up, you were super fast and you were strong. And so I was motivating and inspiring people all my life. So when I became an adult, it wasn't like I had to create space. I just continued to function and just threw some labels on it and, and, and put a name attached to it. But uh, encouraging and motivating is, is my middle name. Mm, love it. And I mean, it feels like the teen years are the years where things can really go, people can get really lost. And, you know, you combine the cocktail of hormones, couple that with some childhood trauma or maybe ongoing trauma, as you've talked about. Uh, and you can see how that time where we don't have our prefrontal cortexes yet and can't be logical and think about things and make good choices necessarily if we haven't had any modeling around that. Where do you see teenagers most often come unstuck um, from all backgrounds? Because I'd imagine your audience is huge now and uh, transcends uh, communities of color specifically. You reach all sorts of walks of life and we know all kinds of teenagers experience uh this derailing um i'm curious to know how you help them and and how you help parents help teenagers better well you know what i teach and it's for the adults and the youth is that we are products of our thought lives and that we must be careful and understand that we can control thoughts that we keep or we get rid of you know, we, we become complacent and we feel like we just live life and a life allow life to happen to us. But what we have to do is we have to make a conscious effort so that if a thought comes, if you don't like it, you must kick it out. Because if you don't kick it out, it germinates itself, it plants itself, it grows, 
And once it grows, you know, it, it, it becomes a problem. So, you know, I teach them, and there's a tag that I use, Alex. I call it be the driver of your car, not the passenger of your car. And what I explain to people is the fact that we go through life and we step on landmines. And the landmine doesn't blow you up, but it causes damage. And what happens is we start to make decisions based on the damage rather than what's going on in real time. Oh my gosh, that is so true. I'm yeah, just I'm yeah. playing, um, I'm revisiting my childhood with uh, Nintendo right now. My son has just got a console for the first time and we were playing, uh, what was it, Zelda the other day. And he, she, he only had like half a heart left and we were operating in that game from the half heart, not from the infinite possibility that existed in the game in terms of collecting tools and getting stronger again. Wow, what a, um, what a great analogy to illustrate how we can come unstuck. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I, I tell them that whenever they feel that they're not balanced, see what took your keys. You know, sometimes it can be a person in a situation or it can be that event that happened to you and it's reoccurring in your mind and so you have to be able to take control of it. Mm. And and so in terms of practically doing that, um, you know, a lot of people recommend all sorts of things, the written form, journaling, uh, meditation, uh, you know, how, how does that take shape for you when you're helping people? Living conscious. 90% of the world lives unconscious. That means you just float. So that means living conscious is work. So when I'm walking the earth, I never walk where I'm not totally thinking about everything that's going on. And you are tired by the time you get home and you rest because it takes energy. But when you do that, you're able to find or keep tempo with what's going on in your life. So I'll give an example um, where it got away from me, where I lost tempo, but I didn't realize it. My, my brother-in-law, I'm an athlete. My brother-in-law is not into athletics, and his daughter, my niece, had a birthday party. And my daughter had a state championship game, and we said we weren't coming, and he was upset. You know, he couldn't believe that we weren't going to come to this party. So he can't yell at me, but he's yelling at his sister, you know, because that's my brother-in-law. And, you know, so now there's, my, there's toxin in my house because they're going back and forth. And I'm listening to them argue and I'm getting really pissed off. I want to pick up the phone and call them, but I don't want to overstep my boundaries. And I'm carrying this around, but I'm good with my job where I can put it up, but I'm going in and out of my groups. And as I'm going in and out of my groups and I'm teaching this concept, I get into a teenage group and I teach them about being a driver, not the passenger. And one of the kids says, hey, uh, you know, in my groups, we get adjective names. So my adjective name is Mighty Mike. He says, hey, Mighty Mike, your brother-in-law is driving your car. And Alex, it hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> and you know what, what, what happened was, not living conscious, he drove my car for about three or four days. And the, the beauty of it when you live conscious is as soon as he said that to me, I committed myself to not giving it any more energy and I took my keys back. Mm. And that's what I tell them. Take your keys back, reestablish control, 
and that's how you do it. So you, you, you can do it once in a day, twice in a week, but it's whatever you feel like you are not the one that's moving you um, from place to place. Yeah, so that is, it's about being aware of that moment uh, or moments soon after where you feel like you're losing agency. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Mm. And it happens. It, it happens because once I teach it, people will say it all day or they're coming the next day and say, hey, you know, I went home last night. You get husbands and wives because I have teachers in my groups. And they're like, you know, I went home last night. My husband, he took my keys because people do it, but you don't have anything to label. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You know, just like when I tell the donkey story and I'm working with teenagers, what's beautiful about it is now I've gave, given them a code word to talk about their issues. So they don't have to be specific. They'll just say, Mighty Mike, my dirt. My dirt's got me down today. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, sometimes something to give us to, to, to be able to hide behind so we can be a little more transparent. Yeah, and it takes it out from this highly subjective, vulnerable place where sometimes you can't work from there because it's too painful. If you put it just outside of yourself, wrap it up in an analogy, and then it becomes easier for other people to see what's going on for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you create it and so that you can almost look at it as a doll, but you don't lose you don't lose contact with the reality of it. You see what I'm saying? So when you step outside yourself, I want you to step out, self-reflect and see yourself as a shadow. But don't get lost in the fact that it's a fantasy. See, some people get lost in the fact that it's a fantasy and then they live that fantasy world out and they don't live in reality. You see what I'm saying? When you create a, yeah, when you create that space of where you want to go, some people create the space and then go live in it without working to get there. You got to do some work to get there. You know what I'm saying? So you make the vision, create the vision, and then put things and steps in place to get to your vision. But some people go from vision to live in a vision and the work is not done in between and it's going to fall and crash right underneath your feet. Mm, so true. And I, I've seen this a lot in, uh, in different spaces where I've known people for a while and there are some people who live in their ideas and the ideas never become action. Yeah, yeah. So that's, how that's... do we make ideas action? What are your top tips there? Oh, wow. Um, preparation. You know what I'm saying? Preparation is small steps. You know, I think the, the biggest problem people have with creating vision and plans for their life, life, their lives is the fact that they make it too big. So I like you to create a dream that's so scary that when you tell people they won't believe you, but then I don't want you to consume it all at once. I want you to, I always use the analogy. I use this with, uh, I did a podcast with a uh, personal trainer. She got angry with me because I, I use an analogy of a pizza pie. But think about having a pizza pie. You got a whole pie. And, and if we don't even have pie, pizza pies in Australia. <laughs> oh, okay. But you know what I'm I guess, talking about, I guess about, the though? equivalent would be like a deep dish pizza. I think that's yeah, There you go. All yeah, right. Yeah. So let's, let, let's say deep dish. Same pace. But if you ate that entire deep dish pizza, you have a bellyache. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you would. So, so what I teach is that the way you attain your vision is you eat one slice at a time. 
you know, and and once you cre- you create that one slice, you you go get it, you celebrate it, and then you go get your second slice. And then before you know it, once you've gotten all your slices down, you're there. You're at the top of that mountain. So, you know, people get overwhelmed because fear is paralyzing. So if you if you look at the vision too big, it paralyzes you. You don't move and you start walking in place. Mm, huge. And fear. Let's talk about fear a little bit more because I feel like that is a huge player in this year that we are all experiencing from whatever lens and corner uh, we are experiencing it in. And that is the year 2020 for people who listen to this in the future. (laughs) Um, Fear seems to do crazy things to us. Obviously it puts us in fight or flight. Then our prefrontal cortex goes offline. Then our rational minds have disappeared and you just see so much fighting, fighting online, fighting, fighting, people arguing and never hearing each other. And I genuinely believe fear is a huge player in that. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on, on what you're observing and how best we can move through this year peacefully uh, and empowered. Wow. Wow, Alex. I totally um, sprung that question on you, by the way. That was not no, enough. No, no, I, I know. I <laughs> but know, I figured I you could handle it. <laughs> well, no, you know, I can handle it. You know, what it is is some of my some of my podcast interviewers, I'm telling you, I've been asked something similar to this, and um, they get jammed up because people are not able to hear truth. You know, what I see in society right now And, um, you know, with some of the work that I do, you know, when you open up some of these businesses after COVID, you're going to have to have some cultural diversity or sensitivity because what, what black America has now seen is the fact that they have a voice. I realized with some of the things that have been going on in the last few months that, that subconsciously I've been silenced. I've, I've sat in rooms and watched school systems totally crap on a black student, know that it's wrong and not say anything. You know what I mean? And so, oh man, you don't know. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, you know, listening to these things and, 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 you know, uh, Michelle Obama now about how she feels almost like uh semi-depressed because when you start to go back over your life and you start to put some truths to what's going on, I mean, you know, like I said, 52 years old, you know what I mean? And I'm realizing like, you know, you know, you know, and, and then for me being a big black man, I have to find balance between, um, when I want to confront if a person is racist and you confront immediately, they'll put you in the basket of anger. So even though you're confronting them on a truth, it, it's, it has nothing to do with the issue. It's the fact that you're angry. And so they, they, they don't want to talk about what we're talking about. He's just angry. So, you know, I have to have to be creative enough to be able to present something to you without losing my mind, because if I bring it up one octave, I've lost you. And then now, you know, you're not, you know, it, like this, like with all that's going on in society, what pisses me off are the rioters. Because what rioters do 
is it gives the person that doesn't want to deal with the race, racial, systemic racism issue, it gives them a distraction. We don't have to talk about the root of the problem. We just talk about the nuts that are running into stores stealing clothes. So, you know, you never get to the root. So, you know, what I what I said on one of my podcasts was this, and I don't want to spend too, too much time on it, is that if you really want to sit down and have an educated conversation with an African-American or a black person about what's going on in society today, you have to learn some history. There's anger that you're seeing displayed but that anger is rooted on some some really some. I, I got I, I got to tell you one thing though. This is deep. Yeah, listen, this is real deep, Alex. Three weeks before George Floyd was murdered, I was watching a movie called The Great Debaters. You ever you ever see The Great Debaters I with Denzel Washington? One, but I'm going to make a note. Yeah, yeah, make a note. You got to watch it after this podcast. But The Great Debaters, it's Denzel Washington, and he is a professor of a all black college and they're a debating team and it's it's i think it's the 30 or the 40s and they're going to a debate oh my god this movie sounds amazing i debated at school i'm already excited yeah yeah Yeah. so they're driving to a debate but this was during the time now this is going to shock you that you can kill a black person and get away with it like it wasn't against the law they call it they call it lynching. Mm, yeah, of course. So you can yeah, yeah, you can kill a person and go home, black person, go home and eat dinner. So as they're driving to this debate, they got this young black boy strung in a tree and they're burning him. They're killing him. He's got the students in the back seat. So they back out, they go around, they get to the college, and now this man has to debrief with his students what they just saw and then continue on with life. Now, the movie goes on. Everything plays itself out. But remember, they, they'll never get that vision out of their head. So I, I saw that three weeks before. I'm watching Channel whatever, and I watched George Floyd get murdered on national television. I see the movie, and I see what happened in 2020. Can you imagine what that did to my freaking mind? <laughs> oh, I can't. I'm on the verge of tears right now. Can you imagine what that did to my mind? I, I couldn't believe it. Mm-mm. I couldn't believe it. And you got people running around talking about progress? Mm-mm. That man got murdered on TV just like the dude in the tree got burnt in the 30s. Nearly a century ago. Yeah. We're still here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so you know. Imagine. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. So people don't know that when they see somebody on the street, you know, inappropriately showing anger. But that anger is is built within that world because that's 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 only one situation. Only one. And the only thing I can liken it to, the only place I can connect as a white woman from that story is seeing brilliant women in boardrooms answer back to a bad idea that a board puts forward. And all of a sudden she's bitchy (laughs) and she's too big for her boots. And everyone focuses on that part of her instead of the brilliant counter narrative she put forward that may actually steer the company in a better direction. And women have experienced that for 
many, many centuries. And it, I think it is a small place of connection where we are, uh, we have an opportunity to be great allies for people of colour, I think, because we just have a tiny taste of that. Cannot, cannot in any way, shape or form equal your experience as a person of colour. But a tiny enough taste to know what the frustration of the label feels like instead of focusing on the potential, the brilliance or the actual point of justice that is supposed to be tabled when that person reacts that way that I feel, uh, I feel we, and I've spoken to many women about this during this year, there's a small sensitivity there that we can really in harness uh, to empower everybody who, who has felt um, unjustly treated based on yeah. our labels. Yeah, but I'll tell you this, um, I speak to many audiences, and a lot of the audiences that I speak to have young black boys and girls in it. And I will speak to those audiences different. I will let the administrators know beforehand that I'm not going to be inappropriate. But I need my young black students to understand that they are kings. They are queens. You know, I do leave that message because I was able to step above my circumstances and become in their eyes a king. So, you know, you, you know, it's, it, it, it will be different. It will be different. But anyway, I don't want to get stuck on that. No, no. But I think, thank you for indulging that important tangent this year. I think it's a really important thing for us to hear stories from people who are leaders in communities, from people of colour, from young people of colour. So, you know, you can't have walked in that person's shoes. And if you give more people a voice, we can actually start to let in their pain, feel it ourselves, and finally start to move forward together for a yes. better society. Because yes. we have the potential to do that. Oh, yes, it we is. We really do. It's just we about definitely. letting a shed ton of pain right inside us to, to really feel how bad this has been. Yes. So Agreed. thank you. Thank you for sharing from your perspective. Yeah. Um, where shall we go next? Okay, I wanted to ask you, when you're a parent of a teenager okay. and you see the wheels coming off, you see uh, some dodgy stuff maybe start to happen, a few things, you thought, where is my innocent little girl or boy gone? They always used to choose right and now they're really not. What are some of the things we can do as parents in those situations to really be an ally for our kids uh, rather than ramp up the discipline and wonder why it's not working. Now, now, you ready? You ready? Check it out. It doesn't happen overnight. So the t way I parent is I'm on my kids. Now, when I'm on them, I don't mean that I discipline them, but I know how they function, how they move. So that as soon as the movement changes, Alex, I'm on it. So I'm proactive rather than reactive. You see what I'm saying? So like, give an example, like my daughter, she's allowed to go in a room and close a door. But if I see that that becomes a pattern and it's too much, I go to the door, I open the door and say, hey, listen, do we need to talk about something? And so if you become in step with what they do, rather than waiting for them to get to a bad place, you can intersect them on the way there 
and then give them a platform and a place to talk about it. See, when you catch them early, they're, they're, they're a little bit more susceptible to listening to what you have to say and will appreciate the fact that you caught it. You know, my mom or my dad really cares about me enough that they realize that I'm not in a good place, even if they're defiant and they don't tell you. Because sometimes as teenagers, they just want acknowledgement. You know, with adults, some people, they don't want you to solve their problem. All they want you to do is is to acknowledge the fact. Listen, I saw a special on a TV show where a guy jumped off the San Francisco Bridge and he survived. And then they did a documentary on him. So they, they go back to his apartment. He had to take buses and, and, a, and a cab to get to the to the to the bridge to jump off. So they're interviewing him and it was kind of morbid. But then they finally at the end asked him, like, you know, like, is there anything you want to share? And he said that if one person would have said, hey, buddy, what's wrong? He would have called it off. He would have called it off. All he wanted was acknowledgement of the fact that he wasn't in the right place. So as a parent, it is it is to be. And step, that's why some of the parents today so quick to put them on medication. See, you put them on medication, then that eliminates you having, having to be a parent. You put them on a drug, you slap them in the room, they pass out, and you don't have to deal with the problem. But I think good parenting is to stay in their hip pocket, but not, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Just watch them. Just watch them. Their movements. Their movements change. The way they talk change. What they put on and wear changes, and you will be aware of it if you make yourself conscious of it. 100%. And like I want to add there um, on the point of medication, sometimes medication is a great SOS. It's a great like, okay, let's just get the script. Now tell me what's going on, you know, and then we actually work on the long game so that you don't need the medication. But I completely hear you on... um, on the uh, negative aspect of medication being the band-aid for not actually having to have yeah, tough conversations. Right, right, right. 100%. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. Um, and so I have a feeling, and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. When my son didn't show any particular excitement or interest for team sports, he's more of a solo sports guy, so he likes karate and tennis. Uh, I thought, okay, where is his sense of team and coaching going to come from? Because I really believe that that is a wonderful way to weather the teen years. I know for me, being in musical groups was huge for that. I could always turn to my music friends and to my music. And it was incredibly healing in, you know, those tumultuous teenage experiences. And so I recognized he had a great voice and he had good rhythm. So I got him drum lessons so he could join the band and I got him into the choir and with his singing lessons. And I see as an 11 year old, he has a real sense of belonging and purpose in those groups. And, uh, and I, I think, uh, I, I, I speak to other grownups who maybe didn't have team experiences and it seems like their teenage years were way tougher and they got into some really dodgy stuff sometimes compared to the ones who felt really held and supported. They felt they had somewhere to go that once or twice a week, that rehearsal, that practice. Um, 
I would love to hear what you recommend to help teens or kids coming into the teen years feel sense of purpose. Uh, do you think team activities are a really great way to, to weather that rather than all kind of lingering around, hanging out in a park aimlessly? Um, you know, just... I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't think that it has to be team. I think that what we, what we do is, is I think self-reflection both with uh, teenagers and adults is, 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 is pinnacle. Okay, right. So you're never too young to self-reflect. And when you self-reflect, you find what you like. So if something that you like is not part of a team, it doesn't make you dysfunctional. Gotcha. But yeah. you, have to, you have to attach yourself to what makes you feel complete. Alive and complete. Yeah. 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 That's it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And so, you know, I'm very careful, you know, with my kids, I, I made it a point not to push athletics, but you better believe when they were coming into this world, you know, I pray God healthy, let's have <laughs> yeah. healthy kids first, but I, I wanted athletes. I was yeah, an athlete, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, and just like your son likes music. I, I don't think, I think genetics and all that has to do with it. My kids are both athletic but, you know, um, I think it's, it's, it's all about what you love to do. Um, I think we are all born with gifts. Um, you know, you have gifts that you can nurture, but there's something in you that you're good at. And if you take the time to self-reflect, you'll find it. Yeah, beautiful. And, uh, and sometimes, do you think it's a parent's job to help the kids say that? You, you, well, you did it right. You, yeah. you expose. Yeah. Because I no would just force. hear this kid singing yeah, yeah, in the yeah. shower and I'd yeah, be like, yeah, yeah. he never stops singing on the toilet, <laughs> yeah. in the shower, yeah. when he's, you know, drawing, he's always singing. And so yeah. you then help them raise their own self-awareness around that. Right, right, mm. right. You, you know, you help, but you can't, you know, you have some that um, create, you know, especially with athletes. You know, you get a guy like me who has a son, you know, you see it all the time. A son, he's Joe athlete, but his son's not that athletic. In my town, what they do is they become the coach. So they have a, a kid that's not athletic, so they become the coach. So they can now put their kid in the top position, even though he's not the best, simply because he's his son. And you watch the kid. You know, I feel sorry for him because he doesn't feel like he's in that place. You say and that in father, sport a lot, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. They push it. They push it on him. So, you know. It's, it, you know, what, what I, what I firm with, with teenagers is, is I want them, my kids and even kids that I deal with in society, I want them to respect me and not fear me. And I'll never do anything to break their spirit. Their spirit is, is very important to me. So any interactions that I have with them will be in a basis that it's, it's sweet, nurturing, and and not that I can't bring the thunder, <laughs> but when I bring the thunder, I bring it in a way where I can deliver it where the spirit is not broken. Mm, that is such an important distinction. So uh, can you break that down with an example? You know, because uh, I'd imagine with your big voice, like the thunder would sound pretty scary. <laughs> well, it, it, it's it's um, uh, <laughs> consistency when you're when you're consistent. My mom. The one thing that my siblings and I can can all say is that my mother was always consistent. 
You, you never, a, a, a different mom never showed up, you knew. So you knew what you can do, what you could not do. If you did it, what was going to happen? And so when it happened, you never looked at her like, hey, lady, what? No. So with my kids, I'm consistent so that when the thunder hits, they they almost just sit back and say, fair you enough. know, fair enough. You know, even with my athletes, I coach football. You know, and a lot of coaches yell and scream at an athlete, but I create that same environment with, with my, my, my players. And when that thunder drops, it's never like, oh, my gosh, coach is yelling at me. They know they're so far off course that I, I had to go to that length to recalibrate them so it doesn't break their spirit. It shocks them and says, hey, listen, he don't really go here. So if he's here now, that means I really need to get back mm-hmm. into line. Yeah, the the importance of boundaries are huge. Um, and yeah, it's so true. It creates a sense of really understanding when someone does discipline you because the boundaries are there. They were never anything but obvious. And so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's because I did that, sure. Mm. So I want to ask a question, a couple more questions. And one is about adulthood. And the scenario where someone becomes an adult one day, maybe they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and they think, oh, crap, I've realized I'm not where I wanted to be. I don't know why. I can't seem to get motivated. Something's wrong with me. How do we as individuals start to unpack that and really develop our self-awareness, you know, at whatever age one might have this realization? All right. So... I love your questions. Um, the teacher must always remain the student. You know, we always got to remember that. I feel that I read a book by Bruce Wilkinson, and it, it's called The Dream Giver. And in the book, it says that we all are born wanting to be something. And we end up getting bullied out of becoming it because people tell you you can't make enough money. That's not really what you want to do. And so you become 30 and 40 and you reflect over your life. And what's happened is you got bullied. That thing that you really wanted to do, somebody persuaded you not to do it. And so my advice to those people is rather than to panic, you pause. That's what I'm telling everybody about COVID. COVID is a blessing in disguise. Many people will lose their jobs and not be able to go back to the jobs that they had. So you take this time to self-reflect and go back to a job you want to go to. You know, what's phenomenal about what I do is sometimes when I leave an event and they give me a check, I laugh when I get into the car. And the reason why I laugh when I get into the car is I would have did it for free. And so for those people that come to that point in their lives where they feel like I'm not in the right place, rather than panicking, That is the best thing that could have happened to you because now it's time to slow down, look back over your life, see if that little cowboy is what you want it to be. That ballerina is what you want it to be. That architect is what you want to be. And you go back and you get it. You take money off the table because money and monetary and, and making money. You know, when I do commencement speeches, I explain to students when they're graduating is that if you get caught up with making money, you will wake up one day, you will be highly disappointed with a house full of material objects and your soul and your spirit empty. 
And so go back and find it. Don't be discouraged. So beautiful. And, you know, if anything, these modern times that we're living in show us more and more how the slate is blank and you can write it any way you want. And if ballet was your thing and you got talked out of it, you could open a school, you know, if it's too late to be a ballerina and you're in your fifties, like you got to be realistic. Um, But like, I think about how I was just a huge tennis fan. It was my life as a teenager. I would wake up at like three in the morning to watch the U S open at the right time zone and loved that sport so much. And it's not that I got bullied out of it. It was more the realization that I had that I was never going to be a professional tennis player. I wasn't, I didn't have that edge, that juice. I know I didn't, it's fine, but there is so much you can do in the realm of tennis. You can be a coach, you could be an umpire, you can open up a coaching school, you could could run an online tennis coaching academy. There are so many things you could do. And I feel lucky to be a parent in this time where we can see all that possibility. And we may be therefore less likely to feel pressured to put our child somewhere society deems as safe and break their spirit in in return. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Okay, so a lot of people are stressed this year. Maybe it's financial stress. Maybe it's the stress of losing loved ones to COVID or or other diseases. Uh, Maybe it is um, just the intensity of the various political narratives right now. There are so many things that can be bringing on a ton of stress this year. Um, How do we use that as a springboard during this time and use it to our advantage? You know, because because like we're talking about with the self-reflection, this is this is a new start. You know what I'm saying? This is your, your life has now been put on pause. You know what I'm saying? You and I were talking right before we we started the podcast. You know, before COVID, my business was strictly, I show up to a venue, I speak at a venue. But during COVID, I now have um, an online course. You know, I've, I've, I've learned to do my business with schools and organizations through Zoom calls. You know, my business has now taken on something that is so much bigger because I used the time that we had in COVID to reinvent. So people should not look at this as a punishment. This is not a punishment, you know. You know, sometimes, and I believe in, you know, I'm a spiritual guy, but the universe will stop you if you're moving too quickly and it wants you to start to rethink. So you just think of this as the universe stopped you. It's giving you an opportunity to unpack, clear your head so you can move forward and go in a more guided, relevant direction. You know what I'm saying? So this is not a punishment. Please, people, don't think of this as a punishment. You know what I mean? Because it's not, you know, recalibrate, get yourself together. And when you go back out, have that energy, that energy of the fact that, you know, this was taken from you. You know, when you go out and you get in the world, you didn't have, now you have the flexibility and the freedom to do it. Eat it up. You know, eat it up. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Limiting beliefs and victim mentality. They can really get people stuck. 
you know, you can tell yourself the story and then start telling everybody the story. Everyone who listen, poor me, poor me. Everyone accuses me. Uh, or, you know, there's so much poor me energy coming literally right from the top these days. Uh, and culturally, I feel like we are, we are experiencing this nothing is my fault. This, everything was all done to me and I am not the one to blame here. Um, and I feel like we have literally universally as a collective decided to give our keys to someone else using your analogy. Um, how do we start to take our keys back when we really feel like we can hear ourselves starting to say, poor me, and hear us telling other people, oh, yeah, my shoulder, you know, still. And uh, poor me, yeah, I can't do my favourite sport over and over again. And you hear these poor me um, dialogues everywhere. You can hear so much of it right now. And I feel like potentially um, this is a time to use the pause that you're talking about that we're getting this year um, to tell ourselves a new story and then start telling other people a new story because it's getting boring. Right, right. Well, you, what you have to do is, is, is look where you're going to eat. You got to feed yourself the right stuff so that what comes out of your mouth is identical to what you're eating. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And that's so what you surrounding have, yourself with the right yeah, people. That's right. Right, right people. Read the right books. When you digest and you eat properly, just like real nutrition, you start to... If, if, if you talk about the body, you get cuts, you get muscles, you know, the same thing happens with our, our intellect. When you feed your intellect properly, your outlook on life becomes an indicator of what you feed yourself. People that live in that negative world are living in, 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 in a sense of negativity to a point that it becomes their vocabulary. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you have to change what you eat. And when you change what you eat, it starts to change your thought processes, just like we talked about before, is that, you know, when you start to eat properly, properly in the world of positivity, then, you know, when something comes up, you have a choice of pulling that negative or that positive. If the positive has been dominating your thoughts, then that's what will come out of your mouth. Mm. And I'd imagine we also have to start thinking about what kind of food we're giving to our loved ones. Yeah, well, you know that that you you jumping into the whole world of love, you know. I, I yeah, no, I'm serious though. But you know what, you got to be careful of, you know, is is you know, and people, I, I kind of you know, anyway. But you got to find people that love you with the proper fuel. That's what mm, you. That's what find. I mean. But yeah, we yeah. also have to step in, step up, and be good fuel for others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. You do, or or you just make sure, you know, if you take unleaded, you stay with unleaded people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you Switching know, over to diesel. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, you know, if, if you if you regular, you know, I may have to deal with some diesel at work, but listen, on my personal level, if if you if we're not taking you know, regular together, then you know you have to be able to recognize that. You know, stay around people that that that, you know, take the same fuel as you take. I learned that as, at an older age. I wish I would have learned it younger, though. It is so true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That that one right there would have <laughs> saved me a whole lot of heartache. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, oh, yeah. Yeah, proper fuel. 
So you mentioned books and yeah. uh, for nurturing our intellect, and you have one. Talk to us about that. Be Encouraged is my book. You know, the beautiful thing about my book is I, I have spiritual time that I have on a daily basis. And at the end of my spiritual time, I write something and I put it up on my Facebook page. And I've been doing it for quite some years. And a woman was dying of cancer. And she wrote me a message in my inbox. And she said, you know, I would love to be able to get your material in one place. So when she told me that, I went back and started to pull them off my Facebook page. I put them in a book, dedicated the book to her, and she was my inspiration on writing the book. So it's 250 pages of motivation and inspiration. And, you know, it's, 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 you open it up, you read a page, and it is to give you a gateway into looking at your life from a proper perspective. You know, the ins and outs of, knowing that we're not perfect, we're cracked vessels, but there's always sunlight that comes through the cracks. I love that. That's, that reminds me of Leonard Cohen's beautiful quote. Um, it's, it's okay to have cracks. That's how you let the light in. There you go. I just love that. Yeah, it's a beautiful thought. Um, Michael, thank you for being such a sunny, positive, incredible force on this planet. It has been such a joy to talk to you and bring this conversation to the Low Tox Life community. Thank you. Yo, yeah. No, it was nice. It's the interviewer. You guys make it. I'm <laughs> telling you, I've been doing a lot of these podcasts. It's, 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 the, it's the questions. I will take that. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's Stuart S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and of course, LotoxLife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.